it's time for History Matters. Taking a look back at this week in history with Mr. Scott Washington, <laughs> Esquire, who joins us here now in the studio to uh, take a look back. Good morning. Good morning. Well, it's always good to see you. Always like being here on the front lines of history. Uh, and especially when we're looking at things in the past, but that has so much of an application to what we're doing right now and hopefully inspires us about what's coming up. Awesome. And, okay, here's one. <laughs> I have nothing to add to okay. that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here is one, one about tying things together. I, I love it. It's a, a, a patent uh, that was filed by a fellow named Whitcomb Judson, we always like unusual names. It's a good name, that was yeah. His first name was Whitcomb. Oh, Whit Judson. Yeah, right. Lives was, in the haunted house was, up the right. lane. He was 50 years old when he filed this patent. Um, he was a salesman. He was born in Chicago. Um, and he also was a kind of a mechanical engineer. And he files a patent for something he calls the shoe clasp lock. Now, this was on August 29th. Uh, 1893. The shoe clasp lock is because he got tired of trying to lace up his boots all the time and the complicated things. And he thought, there's got to be a better way to bring material together. So he invented this shoe clasp lock. Now, it didn't catch on. It was exhibited at the 1893 uh, World's Fair in Chicago. And it was some interest in that. He started a company. It never caught on a lot until uh, about the 1920s. And then the Navy saw it and said, you know, I think we can use this. And finally, it was the B.F. Goodrich Company that coined the term that we know today, and I'm sure everyone will be familiar with it, zippers. He's the guy who's credited with coming up with the term. Can you imagine that? Before 1893, no zippers. <laughs> You're having to either take uh, buttons or sew things together. I want to go back in time to that World's Fair in <laughs> Chicago because, like, every booth is like, I've got zippers, I've got ice cream cones, I've got. <laughs> but they were the they were Ferris wheel. It's I've got using the right name. And, right. You know, yeah. 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 Shoe, shoe clasp block, lock doesn't, doesn't really. Have a, yeah. Zipper. Yeah. Zipper. That's that it's, just zips, right? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so I like that of tying things together. That's what we do on the show. Also, uh, also, I appreciate just how much of human in innovation and advancement and civilization grows out of people who are just too darn lazy to do the simplest <laughs> basic like tying a shoe. Like, ah, right. too much work to bend down and go up and around and over and through. There's got to be a better way. You know, There's got to. I, I've always wondered if Henry Ford, when he just didn't want to get up early to get the horses right. going and said, there's got to be a better way. Yeah. <laughs> what if I just set fire to this and put it behind me yes. and just propel myself Something, forward on wheels? That's right. Well, this is talking about, you know, well, this is a nice segue. We're going to uh, zip to something hey, else, right. which is something that happened actually uh, more recently. Um, and it was on um, September, I want to say, 2nd. Let me see here. Uh, where, uh, I mean, you can. No yes, one will challenge is, you. It is yeah. September 2nd. These, uh, these two guys, I, first of all, when I heard this, I said, no, no, this is just the stuff of fiction. Oh, is this, this the horse? Was, yes, the horse journey? Yeah, I like this one. 1993, yep. two fellows, uh, Louis Brunke and Vladimir uh, Viscom, uh, they, they engage on this, decide, and it was just for the sheer sense of like, I think we can do this, uh, from the southern tip of Argentina to the northernmost point of Alaska. And they ride not by car, 
but by horseback, 20,000 miles over 14 countries. They actually film it. It becomes a documentary. Wow. Um, and it takes them five and a half years. The horse is like, we had no intention <laughs> right. of doing. Are we there yet? Yeah. Takes on a new term <laughs> when we think of this. All right. Now, these are the, the fun ones that I, I like so much uh, when I look at this week in history. there are There's another one here that just kind of jumps out because it's so interesting. Um, it's 1861 on uh, August 30th, and uh, a General John Fremont has been appointed uh, the general overseeing Missouri. Now, if you recall, Fort Sumter was fired on uh, in April of that same year, just four months earlier, and his, his kind of command uh, instructions are, to settle the disturbances that are coming up. Missouri is still a slaveholding state. So on this date, you know, he gets up early, it's just bothering him, and he writes uh, a proclamation, declares martial law. He says, we're putting this down. Anybody who's in insurrection against the United States, um, you're, you're outside the bounds, and not only that, but anybody who's enslaved is free. Mm-hmm. Now, this galvanizes when, as word gets out across the northern states, like, at last, finally, now, this is the right things. For 10 days, it stands, Lincoln is not quite at that point yet. He is still trying to keep the union together, and he's thinking, is there some ways that we can make this happen? Um, so after 10 days, and even his wife actually goes to meet with Mr. Lincoln and implores him, and but he's trying to balance all the factors. They don't have the military might. They're not seeing it quite as is this at a point where we have no other choice. And um, finally, he's, uh, unfortunately, uh, General Fremont is relieved of command two months after this because he's just, he says, I'm not going to go back down. I'm not going to back down on this unless there's an order. And so Lincoln has to order him. This is not the best uh, chain of command, but it turns out he's right. And of course, Mm. within a year, um, Lincoln is writing an Emancipation Proclamation in September of 1862 saying in 1863, this is coming, this is what we're going to be about. Yeah. So ultimately he was right, and I like uh, his style, and <laughs> it's one of those people that stood up for something that was right, no matter the consequences. And this is an interesting thing about the Civil War in general, that it just took the it took Lincoln, yeah. it took the North a long time to kind of come around to the ideas. Right. It's like the, the dis- this dispute about, like, oh, what was the cause of Civil War? It was definitely about slavery. Like, that's, that's right. the reason for the Southern states seceding. On the Northern side, yeah. it wasn't like, oh, we're abolitionists, we, we're fighting to, to end slavery. Not at first. It wasn't until a couple years in that... Lincoln and and the you know the Union Army in general in the North kind of starts to come around to the idea of this is a war for emancipation and it was partly it was partly military strategy right like partly yes. well if we emancipate slaves we can recruit them to the Union Army and also we can go overseas and say hey England hey France support us because we're fighting to end slavery we're on the right side of this there was strong sentiment uh, against slavery, that had been building for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there was a large divide between northern states, which were not supported by the slaveholding institutions in the South. So there is absolutely, this was very clear to other people. The house divided. That's yeah. right. But also Lincoln was seeing that this could be a catastrophe in terms of what do we do if we become two separate nations, a slaveholding nation and a free nation. 
instead of saying, no, it's something bigger than this. Mm -hmm. And it takes a while for that to coalesce. Uh, but General Fremont was right there in the front, yep. and uh, I appreciate what he what he's doing. Now, a person... Scott Washington, uh, <laughs> speaking with uh, History of Matters, uh, we got time for one more. Okay. So. Um, uh, this is a woman, uh, Josephine St. Pierre Ruffin. We, very few people know about her. African-American, born in Boston, Massachusetts in 1842. Now, what's significant about her is she lives till 1924. Um, she is a publisher, a journalist civil rights advocate. She lives through all of this epical time that we're just talking about. And extraordinary person by her own, she's so brilliantly smart at 16 years old. Uh, she marries and also becomes the first person to graduate from Harvard Law School who's African-American. I mean, that's extraordinary by itself. Becomes uh, uh, the first African-American municipal judge. Uh, they lived in Boston. And then uh, she's active in the uh, against slavery during the war, and obviously she's not enslaved, but she sees this, and she is a strong advocate. And then after the war, is a strong advocate for women's suffrage. So not only does she live to see the Civil War fought, uh, to see African Americans emancipated who had been in slavery, but then she is an uh, a. Uh, tireless uh, advocate for women's suffrage and the women's right to vote, she sees that enacted in 1920 uh, mm. uh, with the 19th Amendment. I mean, it's an extraordinary kind of life uh, that she keeps being out there, seeing all this, and we're living in historic times, and everyone can make a difference just like uh, the person who invented the zipper or rode 20,000 miles on the horse or stood up for what's right like General Fremont. You can, too, and that's why we like to say... History matters. <laughs> thank you, Scott Aaron. Washington, thank you so much. <laughs> okay.